0: what is going on, everybody? I hope you are doing well. Welcome to another episode of the Daniel Teaches Experience. By the way, folks, Journey Self-Awareness Exercise is out right now. You can go to Google, type in the Journey Self-Awareness splash, splash Space Daniel Teaches, and it'll come up. Without further ado, folks, this episode is going to be one of those where it it's going to progress in complexity the further you listen to. So in the beginning, it'll be pretty light, pretty you know, easy to kind of follow along, and then it'll get more and more complex and arguably more and more controversial. So the first thing I want to talk about is the show that's been all over everyone's minds, especially if you're a Marvel fan, WandaVision. That's a show that I've really, really enjoyed, and I really want to talk about it from a psychological perspective and a couple things that they've done really, really well in that show. Then, I want to be answering a question from my friend Lydia about uh, effective studying techniques, you know, time management, keeping up with classes, and how to just really approach the whole, like, school and studying and classes whole thing. And finally, I want to be answering another question from my friend Nick about, basically, racism, with regards to white people. So, as you can already tell, it's gonna get more heated the farther we, you know, keep going in this talk. So to start off, folks, let's talk about WandaVision. Have you seen it? Are you a fan at all? Is that something that you're interested in? Now, I myself, real quick, quick disclaimer, I'm not, I wasn't the biggest Marvel guy. It wasn't until I started to watch one movie and then the next, and, and two words sum it up perfectly. Character development man you want to see a character where they're dynamic they have certain beliefs and values and then you see how the events around them change their thoughts and they start acting differently because of it and then how those characters start to interact with one another and the production is brilliant the writing is brilliant the casting is excellent So folks, let's talk about WandaVision real quick. Spoilers, if you haven't seen WandaVision, I believe I've seen up to episode eight. I want to say that's the second to last episode. It's really, really well done show. And if you're a fan of superhero and stuff like that, 100% would recommend for you to check it out. Even if you're not, if you're a fan of like those old 1950s, 1960s sitcoms, I would still recommend you check it out just for the excellence in production. I mean, you know, Marvel Studios really went above and beyond trying to recreate that world. So for people who have no idea what I'm talking about, WandaVision is about this witch by the name of Wanda, and it talks about how she got her name, the Scarlet Witch, her and her husband Vision, and basically what this young lady did was, this is all you gotta know, which again, amazing show, amazing, amazing show, spoilers ahead, there's this girl, she can use magic, and she went through an, an amazing, a crazy amount of trauma in her life. Like unbelievable, like we're talking depression, PTSD, and a plethora of other mental disorders that she should have because of this. Anyway, she goes through all this stuff, right? And what does she do? Wanda ends up creating this kind of false reality, right? Because what you saw, I believe it was in episode eight, was you kind of see Wanda as she's growing up and she loses her parents at an early age. Then her brother passes away, and finally she loses her partner who she was very intimate with. So Wanda's got no nothing. Right? and going through all this trauma she ends up creating this alternative reality where everything's fine and everything's amazing and you're back in the 1950s and where the biggest problem that comes up it's like it's not the end of the world right you're not fighting aliens from a different dimension no you're just you know you got to cook up a late night dinner because you forgot that you know your husband's boss and wife were coming over you know what i mean so wanda basically creates this reality where everything's quote unquote normal or what she perceived to be normal from what she saw on tv so One, as a child, she'd look at those 1950s, 60s, 70s kind of sitcoms, and she was like, oh, that's what a regular life is like. The wife stays home, she cooks and cleans, the kids are running around, you know, playing with toys, and then the husband's always gone to work, but nobody has any clue what the guy actually does. And then he comes home, and then it always ends with them sitting on the couch and watching TV. Now, folks, WandaVision is interesting for a plethora of reasons. One, again, I think the writing and production are brilliant. You know, two, folks, when, whenever you encounter someone that's gone through a lot of trauma, there, there's a certain pattern that you see there. The first thing that you'll notice is, is shock, right? It's, it's this crazy idea, right? Let's say you're like, oh, man, you know, me and my dad, we have this fishing trip planned on Saturday, and then he passes away like that. And you're going, I don't understand. Like we we had this trip planned and we were we were gonna go do this and then and then he had that on his to do list. I, I don't get it. So first you're hit by shock. Right afterwards it's denial, right? So no I no, no, like it can't be. No, because he, he was right here. He was right here. And what ends up happening is right when all this gets pent up and eventually a person goes towards acceptance, that's when you get feelings like anger and and sadness and they just they just start to break down, right? So what Wanda has done from a psychology student's perspective is when she got hit with all that trauma, which is normal, which everyone will do, is they go, Okay, I feel so much pain right now. And and the reason that it's psychological makes it tough because you, you can't see it. You can't see the pain. If you break your leg, we can see it. Right? If you break a bone, if you, if you have a cut, right? if there's a tear in your muscle, we can see that. But obviously, like, you know, fMRI scans and all that f- funky stuff, right? You can see it, too, like in your brain sometimes if you've hit like concussions and swelling and things of that nature. But if we're talking about just emotional pain, it's very hard to see. So, so a person will say, I feel so much overwhelmingly pain, painful. What can I do right now to get myself out of this situation? And I would argue what Wanda does with her magic and creating this kind of false reality for herself is what you and I would do, the majority of people do, when they reach for alcohol and drugs. See alcohol and drugs, they kind of give you this distorted perception of reality, right? They can make the pain go away. Sometimes they just make you forget about everything. Maybe I forget about life and I just stop overthinking and my anxiety goes away and all I think about is me sitting in this chair. And the way that my lips are moving and the way that my tongue is moving, so I don't bite down on my tongue. Right? This is one of the reasons why people like to engage in alcohol and like to engage in drugs. And again, I'm not saying that's the only reason why people do it, but it gets super, super popular whenever people are going through a rough time. Because it does make you feel better momentarily. That's the important part. Now, the problem is if you're a witch and you go through trauma, well, you can do a plethora of other things. And in this case, creating a false reality. Because we know. That when you go through horrible things in your life, it is much easier to kind of change the narrative, so you don't have to accept your current circumstances, right? As opposed to just saying, "No, it's okay. It's fine. No, it was just a bad dream. It's fine. Everything's okay. Everything is okay." And and that's genuinely how people act when they reach towards alcohol, when they reach towards drugs. So in the show, WandaVision, you see that there's several instances where you see that kind of beautiful fantasy that Wanda had created for herself. It starts to fall apart, right? It's, I believe it's the very first episode where Wanda and Vision are sitting across um, Vision's boss and Vision's wife. And it's is one part where uh, Vision's boss, starts choking on something and, and the boss's wife looks at Wanda and she's just saying, please stop, like, please stop please stop. And she's saying it over and over again. It turns kind of into this like kind of creepy borderline, almost like like horror movie thing of like, like Wanda, you're keeping everybody here hostage, right? And and apparently they are kind of consciously aware of it, but you're forcing them to kind of engage in this world that you've created. All to please you and to make psychological sense of the new world around you. Because you can't go out there. Because out there in the world, there, there's it's full of death and suffering and hate. And, and why? Why would you want to expose yourself to something like that? So you put yourself in a little bubble. And that bubble is called Westview, I believe. That That's the little village or that's the little town that she's inhabited and completely taken over and made it her own. Now... From a strength-based perspective, if I was to take a social worker or a counselor or a psychologist, one way that they would look at this, and again, co- correlating to a person who would turn to drugs and alcohol to help heal their pain, it's all right. Listen, you're going through an excruciating amount of pain. What you're doing right now is you are you're, you're trying to fix it. You're trying to help yourself. You're trying to solve the problem. And for that, I want to pat you on the back. Seriously, if there was a counselor with Wanda Vision with Wanda, and she would sit her down, and if she would have the strength-based approach, she would say, hey, listen, I'm proud of you for trying to fix this problem, for trying to stop this pain that you are suffering. It's a good thing because it tells us that you want to get better, which is amazing. But then what they'd say is, okay, listen, clearly what you're doing now, her with the magic and the reality and regular people with drugs and alcohol, they say, listen, let's substitute this drug and alcohol for something else. Because the problem is drugs and alcohol are only a temporary solution. The same way that this reality world is just a temporary solution for Wanda. Like, this can't go on forever, can it? Eventually people are going to find out. Eventually something has to go wrong. Here's what's really, really important, folks. When you have someone who's dependent on alcohol and who's dependent on drugs to kind of keep the pain away, when you have someone like Wanda who's made this reality where everything's perfect, the moment you say, Wanda, stop, she only hears, let's invite all the pain back in. And let's invite all the evil and all the suffering and all the terrible nights back in. One of the worst things that you can do to someone who's suffering from uh, trauma or is going through something really, really hard is you take away the only thing that is numbing their pain. And that's it. You don't do anything else. So if you've just gone through something horrific and you're drinking hardcore and I take that alcohol away and then I walk away, it's like, well, I just took away the only thing that was stopping you from jumping over the edge. That was the only thing that was keeping you from going crazy so i'm not saying you should allow people to drink you should allow her to have her world but a counselor would say Wanna, we gotta we gotta substitute that with something else again now, i don't know if that means wanting to go to therapy she starts going to yoga classes you know she has a personal fitness trainer and you know he works out with her three times a week i don't know what that would be for her but for anyone suffering from trauma it is very very normal to see them reach four different things to try to numb the pain. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, it is temporary. This is a very fascinating fact, too. I've said it time and time again. If you've got haunting thoughts, and this is so valuable for anyone who's been emotionally scarred or has things that bother them, if you want to forget them completely, if you want to completely get out of your system and never overthink again, this is what you have to do. The literature has confirmed that believe it or not, when people suppress, and this is something that Freud had said 100 years ago, when you suppress something and you put it in your subconscious, it's like throwing something in a storage room and closing the door. What you're doing is you think you're, oh, I don't wanna think about it. But actually what you're doing is you're never getting rid of it. You're kinda of just shoving it in, in a storage room, but it's still there, it still exists. You're just pretending it doesn't. That's why it keeps popping up. You know, it's like you got a cut. But instead of going and, and, you know, doing what needs to be done, getting a band-aid, like a bad cut, you just kind of put your sleeve over it. And you go, there's no cut. I don't see one. The cut's not gone just because you don't see it immediately. You're you're hiding it, right? You, You don't want yourself to see it, so you can play this kind of psychological mind game with yourself. And the literature has shown that if you truly want to forget about something, you truly want to get it out of your system, you first... As I know, as terrible as it sounds, you have to get something from your subconscious and you have to focus on it so much that you bring it into your consciousness and then you think about it. You think about every little detail, emotionally, everything. You think about it nonstop. You're like, Daniel, this doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to stop thinking. What would I think on purpose? Because the only way to stop thinking about something, as crazy as this sounds, is you don't run away from the thought. You run towards it. You fully embrace it. And when you embrace it and you think about it consciously, whether that be, then you talk to someone about it. Then you make a video like this. You don't post it online, obviously, but you just make a video where you can explain yourself. Or you write it down. That is the only way that you can get it out of your system. And that's not hey guys, that's what I think will help. That is what the current literature states now. That's what Sigmund Freud, uh, you know, founder of the psychoanalytic theory, said a hundred years ago and it still stands to this day. If you have emotional scar, you do not create a false reality around you like Wanda Maximoff or you don't cling to drugs and alcohol, but you face your fear. You face the death, the misery and the suffering and you will cry and it will be terrible. But that is the only way to get better. The ball is in your court. Do you want to live through the suffering now or put it away somewhere and have to face it five months from now, a year from now, five years, 10 years from now? I trust you. You're a competent individual. In my opinion, what I do, I want to get it out of the way. It's the healthier thing to do, and I think it's the right thing to do. Damn, dude, that was deep, and that was dark. Man, have you realized how, like, dark this episode is sometimes like goodness and I was trying to start off lighthearted. <laughs> oh man oh my goodness oh my goodness but yeah folks One Division. if you haven't been watching it I'm very very curious as to what your reason is because if you're like oh it's just super and whatever like I understand but again if you are a fan of that sitcom I would recommend checking out episode one I'm gonna be totally honest with you folks I think it's really nice just for the production how they've done it the certain camera angles the lines like the writing was Mwah work of gold and if you have seen WandaVision, vision i'm curious what your thoughts are on it are you, are you pleased with the series are you happy are you excited what do you think is going to happen in uh, episode nine and yeah man it's good stuff it is some good stuff i'd recommend it all right folks and with that we are going to jump on to our next topic so this is a question from one of my friends lydia and lydia said hey daniel can you make a video about you know just the world of studying the world of time management keeping up with your classes you know setting goals and all that good stuff, which was a fantastic question. And thank you very much for it, Lydia, because this is something that you can just break down, you know, for hours and hours of content because there's so many different ways that you can go about it. Now, I'm not gonna talk about all of it in this one because this can go on for a very long time. I will talk about a little bit, but I'll definitely revisit this topic in the future. The first thing that I'd say when you're looking at how to study effectively and how to make time management is this. Make sure that you are a good employer and a good employee. Dana, what the heck does that mean? This is what this means. If you're your own boss, you want to be a good boss, right? You want to make sure that you are getting your assignments done on time. You want to make sure that you're not failing any of your classes. You want to make sure that you are basically excelling in your classes if you can. On the other side, you don't want to work yourself to death, right? You don't don't want to burden yourself with having to do a plethora of things in one day, which is unrealistic to get done. And then shout at yourself and feel guilty and feel, you know, like you're not smart enough to go to school or to be at university or college because you can't do, you know, 10 assignments in a day, which wasn't even possible to begin with. So first of all, be aware of how much work you're assigning yourself. And if you're being either one, too lenient and saying, ah, you know, I'll just do it a day before it's due, Or if you're someone like me and you maybe put too much work on yourself and then you fail to do that work and then you shame yourself for failing to do that work. So first thing is realize your relationship with work. Are you too lenient? Are you too hardworking? You want to find that balance in the middle. Tip number two I'd say, when looking at time management, two of the best things that you can do for yourself are one, work in advance and two, be consistent about it. So I'm an anti-procrastinator. I hate having to do something the night before. It's just, I feel so much unnecessary stress and it sucks and I know it's not as good as it can be because it's rushed. You know, if I'm writing a paper, if I'm studying for tests, there's nothing more that I love than just picking away at that thing one day at a time, maybe a week in advance, two weeks in advance, because that way you can really sleep on it, come back, revise it, look over it, right? And if you're studying, you, you're really giving yourself time to consolidate that new information, right? And then you look at it again, and it's, it's just so much better for understanding, especially abstract concepts. So if you can do it in advance, it's amazing. You will never, ever be stressed. And my motto is this, if you can do a little bit every day, a little bit every day, that will save you from ever having to do like four hours you know, like four hours in a night, six hours in a night or something crazy like that. And secondly, consistency. It's super, super important that you're consistent with the schedule. So if you're like, hey, I'll just do it, you know, six hours the night before, it's like, well, is this sustainable, right? For the next six months? Is this sustainable for the next two, three, four years of your undergrad? If not, maybe that's not the best way to approach it. You know, if you can develop a routine, which is fair, meaning, you know, you're not working till 10 p.m., you're not working till 1 a.m., But also, you're not, you know, just saying, well, you know, it's 2 p.m., I'm just going to stop working now, right? You make exceptions. Why? Because you're the boss. You set the schedule. However, you're not going to die over the schedule, right? So if you say, let's say, you know, uh, I'm going to stop working at 6 p.m., but you have a little bit of more work left to do, you got to judge yourself, right? You got to use your own discretion and go, okay, you know what? Maybe I can push till 6.30. It won't kill me. Or you also got to say, you know what? I worked exceptionally hard today. If I said 6, I'm going to say 6 today. I'm going to relax and I'll work maybe a little bit harder tomorrow. So it's really, really important using discretion and thinking about your routine and how you wanna approach things. Tip number three. When you wanna study, one of the best things that you can do is write down to-do lists of sorts. Now, to-do lists are really good because you can see everything in front of you. I myself, I've always been a visual person. So let's say if I've got four classes, I will write down what is the earliest thing that's due. So let's say one thing is due two days away, and the next thing is due four days away, and the next thing is due the next week after that. Right, so i write it down in order. So, and the due dates are beside everything. And when you've done that, it, You'll never find yourself in a position where you'll forget something. Like, oh man, I forgot an assignment. Right? right? You'll always be on top of everything. I know this is very hard for students to do, especially again, you got four or five classes, right? Maybe you got you know, a reading for this one, you got a paper for that one, a test coming up for this one. So if you can write and do things, you know, I think that would be an absolutely amazing way to go at it. You know, If you just want to like journal things down, if you want to write something up on Google Docs, Microsoft Word, whatever floats your goat. That is a really good way to go at it. Tip number four: When you're making to-do lists, a big problem that that I think that people run into is they'll say something like, um, "like uh, study for my psych stats exam." First of all, what the hell does that even mean, man? Right? When you make a goal that is ambiguous, so it's not specific, it's it's really hard to monitor and say, "Did I accomplish that goal or not?" So get really specific with your goal. Right? What does that mean? Right? Let's say you got you got three chapters in your upcoming exam. Does that mean you have to study all three chapters in a day? Do you mean you want to study one chapter in a day? What does that study the chapter mean? Let's even go more specific. Does that mean you're just gonna review PowerPoint slides? Does that mean you're gonna look up extra material on YouTube? Does that mean you're gonna do a study session for that specific chapter? So when you're setting goals, so now you've got your to-do list, right? You're treating yourself like like a good employee and like a good employer. You're doing things in advance. You are consistent. Uh, Not only do you have a to-do list, but now you're really specific about it. It's not just finish my psych homework, but, but what does that even mean? You know, finish, you know, this worksheet, read from page, 250 to 260 for today, right? When you get really, really specific, it allows you to reflect and then you can actually mark, oh, did I achieve this goal? And did I not achieve this goal? And then when you're able to do that, you can take a step back and go, well, you know, why, right? Was the goal, uh, you know, too ambitious? Maybe, maybe it was too big of a goal. It wasn't realistic. Or maybe, you know what? I just goofed off. I procrastinated a little bit too much. That's on me. I need to work a little bit harder next time, make sure that I get it in. I need to be a little bit more focused. So those would be some of my top tips. Again, this was a phenomenal question. I will definitely come back to just different aspects of it, right? Because again, you can make a whole podcast episode just about time management, just about goals, just setting goals, how to stay motivated. And, And the very last thing that I'll say on this is just, Again, right, if you work throughout the entire day and if you just do classes, you will feel a lack of autonomy. And this is my final word on this. And the lack of autonomy, I just mean you feel like you weren't able to decide what you wanted to do that day. And when that happens, it really doesn't feel good because you feel like you lost the day, you feel like a day was stolen from you, you might get angry, you might get bitter. Speaking of my own experience, there's been days where I've literally done homework from like 11 a.m. till... 8, 9 p.m. And afterwards, I'm, I'm pretty bitter about it because I'm like, great, I just lost a day. You know, I could have gone out on a walk. I could have watched TV. And it's not even a specific activity, but it's just that loss of freedom and that freedom of choice. Like, I would have been happy to stare at a wall for five minutes as long as it was my choice. Right. But the moment you start getting into, especially some classes that you don't fully appreciate, that you feel like you're just kind of taking for the sake of taking, man, like you're just like, why am I even taking this class? And that's one reason that you can get a little motivation. So those were a couple of my tips with respects to, you know, studying effectively and a really good, healthy, psychological way to approach the whole school framework. Again, thank you for the question. If any other folks have questions about psychology or things of this nature, please do not hesitate to send me a DM on Instagram. You know, send me an email at psychologyteachings at gmail.com or really any of the other social platforms that you like. All right, folks. We got one more question from my buddy Nick. So Nick says, Daniel, is racism towards white people real? No. There's different ways you can approach it. So Nick was like, hey man, basically I got I got this DM from someone and we were talking back and forth. And this person told him, they're like, hey man, you can't be racist towards a white person. And Nick was like, what? Really? Are you sure? And and he wanted my thoughts. So Nick, thank you very much for the question, man. So when we want to look at racism towards white people. Now, here's where where, where things get crazy. Whenever I do a discussion like this, it's really important to get a definition. Because oftentimes, I might have a definition of my head of racism. You have a definition of racism in your head. And what ends up happening is if I start making claims, I will say something about what you think that you don't actually think and vice versa. So there are two definitions of racism that are important to talk about. Number one, and I really should have looked this up. I really should have Googled this, but I'm going off the top of my head, right? Racism is anything in my mind that I thought that you judge, you judge someone, based on their race and their ethnicity and you discriminate them on those grounds as opposed to anything else as opposed to the merits of their character you know hey kevin uh, you know hey daniel you know did i get hired as your assistant producer for the daniel Teachers experience no kevin i'm sorry oh can i ask why yeah man i don't work with black people right so what i'm doing here is i'm i'm not talking about you know you're ill-experienced which again what i'd say is i'd make something up and they would go you're just you're not the right candidate and let's say i'm a racist person right i'm not going to tell him that because then he might go and sue me or something but right what i do there is is essentially what i'm doing is i'm i'm canceling you and i'm denying you this opportunity Based on your race, based on the color of your skin. It has nothing to do with your professionalism or your experience or your skills or anything else that you bring to the table, right? That's racist. You and your that that's racist. Now, there's another form of racism, and, and this is what this is what most people refer to when they say you can't be racist towards a white person. And this definition of racism, I would say it, it's come up, it's recently, it's pretty recent. And this idea is is of systemic racism. Now, systemic racism is all about this idea of, in layman's terms, it's this. Chances are, the people at the top of these corporations, so the managers, right, the head executives, the producers, out of you know at banks, at businesses, uh, educational systems, are white people. Because white people are on top, they hold the power, right? You have the system. The system is in your hands. You can decide who you want to allocate certain resources to, right? For example, if your chances are you might be a white dude who's responsible for giving out loans, let's say for a house, you know, or let's say uh, just a really established position in the educational system. They're mostly white guys. That doesn't mean there aren't black people. You know, that doesn't mean there aren't you know, Mexicans or Iranians or Turkish people or anything like that. But it's just saying the majority of them, if we're talking about North America, Canada and America, are white people. Because they're white people, they kind of hold this power in their hands. And what a lot of them do is they will selfishly keep that power to themselves and to other people who are white. Meaning if you're a black person and let's say you apply for a job position to go be a professor or you apply for a mortgage for your house or, you know, insurance, whatever it may be, a white guy has the possibility of saying like, no, you don't qualify based on the fact that you are black, based on the fact that you're not white. Now he can't outright say that, but the argument is from systemic racism that, and please, if you're listening to this, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's that the white people hold the power and thus Race plays a role, right? It's favoritism, right? It's if you are anything other than white and and you're on the come up, it is very hard to go up against a system that is based on the patriarchy. So if you're a man, you've won the lottery. And if you're white, you've won the lottery. The system's in your favor. You're privileged. It's going to be easier for you to move up. And and a huge um, weakness of this argument is it kind of looks like they just dismiss competence. Like competence is out the door. Like, oh, you're a white man? Dude, you're totally going to get the job then for sure. So again, I I just want to present that argument. That's not necessarily my view, but I have taken a sociology course and I had a graduate student, so a student on her way to either get her master's or PhD, and in class she said, guys, it's impossible to be racist to white people. And someone said, why? She said, well, because the systems in place, so the systems of society, healthcare, education, workplace, they're run by white people. And you'll never hear a white person uh, not favoring other white people. You know, or favoring a black person above a white person in that sense. That was our argument. Now, there's several ways you can approach this one, right? Because, so again, so now we've got the two definitions, right? We've got the individual who can be racist to another individual, and you've got systemic racism. If me and my friend Kevin, and Kevin's a black guy, and we're about to enter a restaurant, and at the top it says, no blacks allowed, that's racist. I think we can all agree that's racist. If me and my friend Rick approach a restaurant and at the top it says no white people allowed I would think that's also racist it's literally the exact same thing take out white put in black take out you know black put in Asian put in Middle Eastern right it's racist now the part where it becomes interesting is is when you look at a place systemically now again I can't speak on on America I'll say this out of the over 10 years that I've lived in Canada I am extremely grateful to have never faced one instance of racism, never, not once, nothing about me and my parents and my parents being from Iran and me having this Iranian heritage and speaking Farsi, never, not once, and that's amazing, and I'm grateful for that. Again, I can't speak for everywhere. I don't know what it's like, I can only tell you about my experience. Now, systemic racism would be, I go and I try to, again, get a job somewhere. And due to me not being born in Canada, right, due to my Middle Eastern background, I would be denied a job opportunity, right? or I'd be denied a certain opportunity based on something that has nothing to do with the merits of my character, right? based on something that has nothing to do with, with me and my skills and my knowledge. Right? That would be systemic racism. So to give you an example of, of what that would look like, my uh, father, when he was around my age, he was going to school in bonn in the university in germany and there's this one instance where he's writing this exam he feels really good about it you know he submits it and then he gets the results back and it turns out he failed he goes that's interesting he goes to the prof's office hours he's like hey i felt really confident about this exam i'd love to go over it and just kind of see what what i got wrong and i swear to god you're not going to believe me when i tell you this the prof pulls out his exam puts it on the table it's got a big f on the front he flips it open he begins to remark my, my dad's exam and he remarks it and then he flips it back to the front, he crosses out the F and he puts a giant B on the front. And my dad's thinking, how did I just go from a F to a B? Folks, profs make mistakes, mistakes. They put a question in, and it's a lousy question, but to fail, to get less than 49%, to get a B, that's a huge jump. And the professor looks my dad in the eyes. I swear to God, and he says, in our program, we've got too many non-Germans as it is, we've got too many foreigners. So now, when I see a name that's a foreigner name, I automatically mark it as a fail. Think about that for a second. Is that not literally what I was just saying, right? Basing it off of, off of something that you cannot control. Something that is not in your hands. It is, right? Now you say, well, damn, that's just an individual. My friends, I've got a hundred stories that are very similar to that. But that's not the point. The point is targeting someone based on something that, that is not in your hands, right? Based on your skin color, based on your ethnicity. Can you be racist towards white people? It all depends on your definition. There was a book that blew up not too long ago. Uh, it was like white, uh, what, oh God, what was it? Something about white fragility, about white people being fragile. And, and the lady did this, and she was kind of, I don't know, to applaud her like business sense or to get mad at her, but she was like this. White people are really fragile when it comes to racism. All white people are racist, and then when white people would be like, "The hell I am! Like I'm not a racist," and she'd be like, "See, gotcha. You are fragile." It's like, well, when you make those crazy statements, right? And we have two def- two different definitions of what racism is. Like obviously, you know, you-, you can have people bickering back and forth with one another. Coca-Cola just has a training, right? A training came out. It was all over social media. They have a training that was called uh, "Try to be less white." Now, you see the problem with that, right? If you go by that first definition of racism that I said, that sounds super racist. Try to be less white. What the hell, man? If you came to my work and looked at me in the face and said, hey, man, you should try to be less Persian. You should try to be less Iranian. It's not going to end well for you, man. It's not going to end well for you. If you heard that exact same thing, hey, man, you should try to be less black. Excuse me? You heard me. You should try to be less black is that does that not sound super racist but but again i think it was it was more of like a marketing ploy i think that's why they chose that model because they they wanted people to to capture their attention so you know whatever right maybe it got the job done but essentially what they mean is what they're saying hey you know be less white that means be less oppressive be less arrogant, be less um you know be a little more culturally sensitive right don't be so entitled don't be so privileged The problem with that is that you are assuming that everybody who's white is, oh, that's interesting too. Okay, check this out. Because I just had this thought, right? Because I was going to finish my thought to say, well, the problem with that is you're assuming that everybody who's white is also arrogant. Everybody who's white is also oppressive. Everybody who's white is also, right? Everybody falls in that category. So you're generalizing, right? It's like, no, man, I got white friends. They're not racist. But what happens is I was just going to say there are... A lot of white people man who who don't appear to be privileged meaning they're in those kind of you know lower-class neighborhoods they don't make a lot of money they don't have a great life they don't have a good family surrounding you know the government's not giving them loans anytime soon and they're not doing well so to be white does not I was gonna say to be white does not mean that you are privileged doesn't necessarily mean because I've seen a lot of white people down on their luck now if you're going back to Germany and my dad's story and what he was studying, hundred and ten percent, a hundred percent. Oh yeah. If you tell me, yo man, who, who has the better chances of, you know, succeeding a guy who's German in that town. And this was many, many years ago in that city or a guy who's not German, a guy who's an immigrant, a guy who's a Middle Eastern. I'd say a German a hundred percent. I'd say the system is on your side from the amount of stories that I've heard. Yeah. There is systemic racism. Now, if you want to say, now again, that's just one city in one country, right? When people say things like, is America systemically racist? Like all of America? Like every state? Including California? You know, it it, it becomes tough. So can you be racist towards white people? It depends on your definition. I think you can. If you go back to that, that first one, right? That idea of you go up to a restaurant with your friend, no whites allowed. Dude, what the hell? You're discriminating someone based on color. Why would you do that? You know you would think that at 2021 right we know the the impact that that has on people and i i would like to think that we've matured and that we're past that it doesn't mean it doesn't happen but i would like to think that collectively we realize that statements such as saying hey you know try to be less black or try to be less asian or try to be less white like is that okay to say what do you think my friends what do you think is uh, is racism towards white people real in your opinion and if you agree with me i'm interested if you have any supporting points and if you disagree with me if you think hey man no dude I think sy- systemic racism is the, the the bigger racism It's the one that is more evident today and no by that standard you can't be racist towards white people I'm interested to hear what, what your supporting points are thank you very much for listening, folks. This was uh, this was a lot. I know there's a lot of different variables in this episode. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you have a marvelous rest of your day, and uh, take care of yourselves, folks. Bye-bye.